Well, it is good to be back um, again, and as you might see, I'm not Corey. Um, I am Angus. I am uh, the youth director here at Trinity Park Church. Um, Corey has come down with that call that everyone seems to have, um, and I am stepping in in his place. Um, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 46 together this morning. And it is a fairly well-known psalm to many people. Um, a version of it that you might have heard is A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther. But I hope this is a psalm that reminds us all and is a welcome reminder as we look out on this year ahead of who is in control of the world, but also who is in control of your world. Because we live in a scary world, and no one needs to teach us to be afraid. And this world is so full of fears that we even come up with fun, long, really confusing names to describe our fears. Um, there's such as aphoidophobia for snakes, acrophobia for heights, aerophobia for aeroplanes. And there's a reason why I'm the designated spider killer in my family. And whenever the scream comes, whatever time of night it is, I know what I've got to do. Um, I'm thinking I might change that now I've moved to America. Um, your spiders are not like ours. Um, but sometimes we call these fears anxieties or worries or panics. But there's lots of different types of them. There's the life fears, job fears, finance fears, school fears, our families, getting old, being sick, the world fears, economy fears, political fears, and just the general uncertainty. And there's so much of the fear around us that I think there's a place that it's seen most clearly and one that's really helpful to this passage, and that's to do with the climate um, panic and disorder that people are worried about. People are worried about the state of our world. And this psalm reflects some of the language. It speaks of a world in, in chaos and creation that is, is struggling. And for some people, it's become such a big fear that it's developed into a panic. They look out at the world and they see the situation and the disasters and the, and the climate and the things that are going on, and they wonder, why is no one doing anything? And there's actually now a condition called climate anxiety that has developed as a result. And while I was working in, in my uh, undergraduate degree, I, was, I read an essay. I read an article that is um, from the National Geographic. And this article speaks of this anxiety. And it, and it reads something that I think is quite helpful. It says, the level of anxiety can be crushing. Talking about the climate, more than half of 10,000 young people surveyed in a global study published last December in The Lancet agreed with the statement, humanity is doomed. Almost half of the respondents said that concerns about the state of the planet were interfering with their sleep, their ability to study, to play, and have fun. And the psychotherapist who wrote the study said that what surprised them most was just how frightened these young people were. And, and this isn't a distant issue. This is just one area of fear that is going on in the, in the lives of people around us. But I want to say this again, that almost half of the young people who were questioned in this study believed that humanity was doomed. They, they believed it was doomed no matter what was done, but yet still felt a crippling desire to do something, even knowing that it wouldn't fix the problem in their eyes. 
And I think this is such a hopeless burden for people to live under. And I want to ask us, do we have an answer for that kind of fear? Do we have an answer for the fear of these people? And do we have an answer for the fears that are gripping our own hearts? And I want to be clear, I do believe that we should be really good stewards of this earth, and I do believe that humanity has made a mess of this world, this good creation that God has made. And I also believe that this world one day soon will give way no matter what we do to fix it. But maybe not with the same reasons and the same panic as these young people. For I believe that there's a creator God who reigns. That human effort, no matter how well-intentioned, will not achieve what we long for. It will not create a stability in this world that will bring us peace. Partly because we don't have the power to do it. We don't have the strength and the will And secondly, because the starting point for this must begin with God. So that if these fears come upon us, whatever they may be, whether it is the climate or economic or politics or medical, or it is just that spider that crawls into the bathroom while you're taking a shower, we need an answer. We need an answer for these fears that we cannot seem to avoid. And I believe the answer that we need is found and begins in this psalm, the answer that our neighbors need. And it's not a call to action, but a a call to rest in the glorious truth that God is with us. We see this in verse 1 of the psalm, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And I'm going to be looking at this psalm in three sections and all end with the word salah, which is a musical term. And the first point is comfort in cosmic collapse in verses 1 to 3, peace in political panic, verses 4 to 7, and dependence in divine deliverance in verses 8 to 11. So that's comfort in cosmic collapse, peace in political panic, and dependence in divine deliverance. And our first point this morning, the comfort in cosmic collapse. These book of Psalms, this book of songs, were written by God's people, given by God for them to sing. And this particular psalm is written by the sons of Korah, who were some of the songwriters in the Old Testament. It's written to help God's people in an objectively scary world. Songs that you can sing to remind you of who God is and where He is in the midst of your struggles. And we see the struggle in the trouble in verse 1, or, or distress, some versions have it. But this first verse of this psalm tells us who God is, what He is like, what His character is, And how it is this that makes a difference. It is God's character and power that matter. The psalmist says, it is God who is your refuge. It is God who is your strength. And it is God who is present. And it is God who will help. God is with us. God is for us. And God cares for us. So that whatever may come to pass in this world, whatever you may face, God is with you and He is for you. And it is understanding that 
that enables the psalmist to speak and to go on so boldly with the rest of these verses in 2 and 3, so that he can say, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Therefore, we will not fear though the mountains be moved into the heart of sea. Therefore, we will not fear though its waters roar and form. Therefore, we will not fear though its mountains tremble at its swelling. And these, these verses are all biblical language of poetic picture language used to describe the spiritual wars and the earth's most destructive disasters. And you'll have seen some of this picture language if you've been here for our studies in Revelation. And we see all the way from this chaotic floodwaters that roar and foam, which is a terrifying threat to the stability of the world. This solid earth, the rock-solid mountains, this place of order and creation, well, they don't seem so stable. Just like this world that we live in, the good order is threatened and this chaos seems to reign. And the sea in God's picture language in the Bible is a place of anti-God and disorder. And what we have here is a scary picture. These mountains are shaking and trembling. We see the sea is out of control. It's a, think of a terrifying storm or a hurricane-force wind blowing in in the coast of the Carolinas. There's crashing waves. And if you have ever been out on a, on a boat as the wind picks up, you will have felt this, the, the terror and the fear that you have no control. And if you ever come to visit my island in Scotland, you will get to experience this firsthand as the boat takes you out and just as it passes the land, and you start to feel the first waves, you, you, you lose all sense of control. It's unpredictable. It's scary. But this is all a picture of decreation. Because in the very beginning, God made the world in Genesis 1, and he separated the land from the sea, and he made peace, and it was stable. And here, after the rebellion of Genesis 3, when, God, when God's people rebelled against him, we have chaos. The boundaries have been crossed. They've collapsed. It speaks of a world that is upside down and a world which we simply cannot control. Yet the psalmist wants us to know that these forces of chaos are not independent from a sovereign God because there's a refuge. There's a safe place in the midst of this chaos for the people of God. And there's a God who can and will help. And this leads me to the second point, peace in political panic. And you'll see this in verses 4 to 7. And in verses 4 to 7, we shift from this cosmic view and this world, and we narrow down to politics, to political panic. And I, and I don't think it needs much of an introduction. We look out on politics in this country and throughout the world, and we see disarray, we see confusion. Our leaders seem uncertain and the opposition seems just as bad. And where are we to hold our security when, like verse 6, the nation rage, the kingdoms totter or fall? And this word totter is just like when you reach nearly the end of a game of Jenga and the tower is swaying and it's all ready just to collapse and crumble and tumble. And it's the same word that we got for these shaky mountains that are collapsing into the sea in verse 3. It's a similar chaos and disorder and a crashing of things that seem so stable. 
But here, instead of the mountains, it's nations. It's kingdoms. And as we look out in our world, we're full of these nations that are, that are scary, that seem so strong and powerful and terrify us. We've seen it as we looked out on Russia and Ukraine. And we see it throughout North Korea and throughout our world. They make shouts and boasts and declare wars. And they cause fear. But yet for all their power and seeming stability, they're actually shakable. And people saw this when they looked at the Berlin Wall, how it collapsed and the whole Soviet Union, which seemed so strong, crumbled in days. And, and you look back over history and you'll see the great British Empire that collapsed and fell, or the Babylonians, or the Romans. And when we get the idea that the psalm points to shaky but angry nations that eventually fall. Yet they cause us such fear. But look with me at the beginning of this section in verse 4, we get a different picture, a contrasting picture. Here we see there's a river. And it's strange, this river, unlike these waters that are crashing in verses 2 and 3, here there's a stream and it's calm. And there is joy, not fear. And this river makes people glad. Think of this as like a sunny Saturday down by the lake with a coffee in your family, rather than rolling around inside a boat with a sick bag. This is calming, and this is peaceful. And this verse 4 is a picture of a glorious city, God's city, and it's a place where God dwells. And there's this calm river flowing out of it. And this river and God's city is strange because ancient and present Jerusalem doesn't have a river flowing out of it. And the psalmist knows that well, but the city he speaks of does. But there was a river in the Garden of Eden back at the beginning when God made this world. There's a river that flows out. And we also see in, in verse 4 that this city will never be moved. It will not fall. Unlike the nations, it is stable and it is secure and it will last. And this is opposed to Jerusalem, which fell after the psalmist wrote this, to the Babylonians. But you've reached the end of, this of the Bible, and you'll reach it in the end of your series when you get there with Corey. And we're told of a future, a new creation, that is a glorious city, a city just like we see here that will have no sea, no sea whatsoever, it says, no crashing waves, no disorder, but will have a promised river of life that comes out from this city and flows to the world, a new Jerusalem that will last forever where God dwells with His people. And, and the psalmist moves from a picture of decreation and disorder to a picture of hope and recreation, a new world that is different from this world full of fear. But our world doesn't feel like that now. Our world doesn't feel secure. Our own lives don't feel secure. Our world feels scary at times. It's a world of verse 6 with nations in uproar, kingdoms that fall. But, but I want to say to us that maybe this world is so scary because we are looking for something unsecure to provide us with a security that it can never provide. 
So the psalmist wants us to turn our eyes away from these kingdoms, away from this world, to look to God who is safe and who is secure, a God who will help you. And, and, and it tells us when we can expect safety and security to come from God. In verse 5, at the break of day, which in military language is when battle started. It was when it came, and it says it will not be slow. When God sends His help, it is going to come in power. And, and we're told how easy it will be in verse 6. So, as these nations rage, as they cause their panic, what, what does God do? He, he simply speaks. He says a word. He utters His voice, and these nations melt. See, when God speaks, all that is unstable crumbles and fades away. Every kingdom that causes terror and fear will be brought to nothing. God just has to say a word. All these vast armies, all these powers, all these plans, and they come to nothing before a God who speaks. And, and you'll get to this in the book of Revelation, where you have all the powers of this world and the, the power of hell and the armies and the nations, and they come against God. And God just speaks, and they're done. One day this fear will come to an end. One day all this turmoil will end. But what we need to know is that in the midst of that, as we wait for that day, God is with us in the midst of of life's fears. In the midst of the turmoil of this world, God is there with us. And He's bigger than that trouble that we face. If you look out in this world and you're full of despair, and if you long for something to happen, and if Satan is tempting you to despair, if he reminds you of your sins within, if he reminds you of the weakness of this world and your own heart, you need to remember this repeated refrain that we get throughout history as you look at the Bible and as you get throughout this psalm, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is with His people. He is their refuge in a storm. He is their fortress when fears come against them, which leads us to our, our final point, dependence in divine deliverance in verses 8 to 11 where we read in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And I don't know about you, but you might have this verse on your fridge. I know I've come across it in many of the houses back home in Scotland, or you have it in a lovely painted watercolor in a frame. Be still and know that I am God. But often it's a verse that can sound like a command. And I don't know if maybe your husband or your wife has ever done this to you, or maybe it's one of your parents, and you're worried about something, and they tell you, don't worry, it'll be fine. And you're like, thanks. They're like, just, just be calm, will you? Just calm down, everything's going to be fine. And you're like, sure, that, that helped a lot. That really made me feel really at ease. But I think sometimes that we think this verse is like that. God tells you to be still, and we should just be still, Okay. Well, thankfully, I don't think that this is what this verse says. I don't think this verse is just telling you, well, if you're fearful, stop. Just stop right now. Because this is the Creator God addressing His creation. Verse 10 begins with, He says, God speaks to this world. This God who speaks and brings these powers and these evil people and the nations 
to his feet. He says, be still. God says this to individuals everywhere who are in rebellion to him to stop. It's a call to everyone everywhere, and we see it in these words, if you look at that, Sam, to come, see, be still, and know. Verse 8 tells us, come, behold the works of the Lord. Come and see what the Lord has done. This, this be still is not a stop and just try and make yourself to not worry. It's not a, a quiet meditation, but rather stop in awestruck wonder. Come see who God is and what He has done and just wonder. We, we invite one another to come and look and gaze at this God to see with the eyes of faith of what God is going to achieve, what He has already done, and what He will do in the fulfillment of Psalm 2 when all these nations will be brought to nothing, when all evil will be dealt with. To come see this Lord and all that He does. These works in verse 9 to make wars to cease to the ends of the earth by destroying the greatest tools of war of the day of bow and spear and chariots, Come see what God is doing and what He has done. And this should bring fear to those who use their power and weapons against those to bring them under their own power. And it should bring courage to those who trust in the Lord Almighty, the warrior God who is in control of the nations. Come see God's works. God stops wars. God stops evil people, and He does it in judgment, or as He calls it in verse 8, desolations. And that sometimes brings us into worry when we hear about God bringing judgment. We sometimes worry. We sometimes wonder what that looks like. But the people who sung this psalm, the people who wrote this psalm, see, they would have been relieved as the judgment of God fell upon those who sought their destruction, who did evil and were cruel. And this psalm was likely written after one of the many foreign armies came in and brought death and sought to destroy them. And they cried out in their weakness, God, won't you save us? And God came and rescued them and brought deliverance. And because they saw that they had a God who cared and was with them, they cried out in response. They sung of God's goodness. They sung, won't you come and see what the Lord has done? Will you be still and recognize who this God is? And, and this relief through judgment, if we brought it into today's terms, would be a bit like the people in Ukraine. If they cry out to God for His help, and they were to see all the weapons and all the guns and the planes and the helicopters of the Russians just crumble, smashed to pieces. And, and you saw a bit of this after the initial invasion when they, they returned and they, they liberated some towns. And you saw these smashed up tanks and smashed up just guns and planes and everything. And you saw the people rejoice which was unimaginable just a few months before. And while the destruction is hard to watch, 
for those who are in their midst of being terrorized, of being hurt, and full of fear, to see God's judgment come on those who are bringing evil is a wonderful thing, even if it is terrifying to watch. And even if we don't wish it on people, And we are told in the Bible that God has to bring judgment. God has to deal with the things in this world that bring such fear and hurt. And the only way we get to this world that all of us long for, even outside the church, and what you see in a lot of the people who are longing for the world to be restored, who are looking out for the climate, they long for this day when the world will be restored and renewed. We all long for that to happen, but the problem is our own hearts. The problem is that we have a heart that is rebellious against God, that we want to hurt others at times, and we experience that. And so, we read that God tells people to come and be still. Come be still in the knowledge of His deliverance, that there is hope and there is security for anyone. And that's in contrast to these nations that only seek to use their power for their own good. And this come, be still, and acknowledge God is there for each of us this morning. God is calling on each of us to stop our shaking and our rebellion against Him, to come and seeking in the, in the things of this world to give us a security that it can't offer. However much we accumulate, however much we try, the things of this world cannot give us peace from fear and peace from worry. Because God can only do that, and God promises He will. And in a world that is facing judgment, there is one safe place. God gives us a safe place to come. There is a place where God might be known as our refuge. The place the holy place where God dwells. And this is the place that is promised all the way through the Bible. One day, someone is coming. One day, someone is going to come and deal with this. One day, God is going to send someone. And we see, and as we looked at Christmas, as we saw, as we looked at Jesus, that He comes to fulfill that. We see it in His life, and we see it in what He has done. So that for us, for today, for you and me, that Jesus is the safe place that we need. In a world that is full of chaos and disorder and pain and fear, for a world under judgment, that Jesus is the safe place that we can come and find refuge. Jesus is the one that turns the chaos of this world and the waters that are seeking to overwhelm us into life-giving waters. And as Jesus leads us in the corporate singing the psalm, we tell one another, we tell one another the good news and remind one another that you have a safe place, that Jesus has come and offers himself to you. As we tell one another to sur surrender our rebellious hearts, to come and be awe of what God has done, and also in our longings for this world to be restored, And we get a, a wonderful picture of this in the New Testament, a wonderful picture of this, be still and know that I am God. 
And you find it in Mark 4 and verse 35. Jesus takes his disciples into the midst of a storm in a boat. They cross the sea. The storm builds. The boat begins to fill with water, and Jesus is asleep. See, his disciples, they they rush in, filled with fear. They wake him up and say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care, Jesus? Look at what's going on around us. Jesus, do you not care about us? And in verse 39, Jesus awoke, and he rebukes the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Storms raging, boat is sinking, and Jesus just says a word, peace, be still. And there's calm. And he he turns to his disciples in verse 40, and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you still not get who I am? Do you still not know that I care for you? And they turn to one another, and they say, who is this? They're filled with fear. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this that the wind and the foaming seas obey? Who is the one that makes chaos still? Who is the God who is present? Who is the God who will help? Who is the one who is the refuge? Well, this one's sitting in the boat with them. And what, what, what is our refuge? What is my comfort as I live in this world and I face the troubles of the day? Not that I can make anything still. Not that I can speak to my own heart and say, be still, don't worry. But I know a God who, and I know him personally, and I know a God that I can call upon who can make my deepest fears calm. And it's the one who takes us into the storms of this life the rescuer and the one who rescues us from the storm is the redeemer. And this one who leads you into the storm and the one who rescues from the storm is Jesus. And he is the one who the wind and the waves must obey. The one who watches over you and declares peace and be still to whatever worries you. It's not what you can do and how you repeat to yourself a thousand times, be still. It's not your effort, it's not your worry, but Jesus who speaks, be still over you. And this is why the psalmist constantly says, the Lord Almighty is with us. And this is what we need to remember as we face this year, as whatever may be going on in your life, whatever you may face, the same troubles that face this world that have been going on for a thousand years, we need to be reminded that the God who is in control of our lives, is over all these things. And as I said, I don't think we need to be taught to fear. I think all of us have this pretty nailed down from a young age, but I do think we need to be taught how to fight fear. And this psalm is a great place to start, but I want to share with you a little bit about my niece. She's amazing, and she's coming to visit, and she's very excited about it. She's about to turn five, But a few years ago, she woke up in the middle of the night and screaming, Daddy, 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 
Of course, my brother runs in and is like, what's wrong, darling? What's wrong? There's a polar bear under my bed. And then it's two in the morning, a bit confusion. He, he asks again, sorry, what? A polar bear. There's a polar bear under my bed. And he says, there's not a polar bear under your bed. Go back to sleep. And she goes, no, there is. And he goes, okay. There's not a polar bear under your bed, Flora. Go back to sleep. No, Daddy, you didn't look. Get your torch out. So he gets the torch out, shines it under, and says to her, no, no, darling, there's not a polar bear there. I checked. I made especially sure. And see, in that moment, she, she doesn't want to be told that polar bears don't live in Inverness in Scotland or that her fears are foolish. But what she needs is her father to come to her and say, it's okay, I've got you. And, and my brother has this really, really sweet thing that he does with his daughter, and it, 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 it tears me up at times. He says to her, Flora, why don't you need to be afraid? Why, why don't you need to be afraid, Flora? And, and she says, because you're with me, Daddy. And they pray together, and they pray to our Heavenly Father who cares for her and her Daddy. And we have no power to still our own fears, and we have no power to still the fears of our children, however grown up they are, whether they've gone to college or they have their own families. What we can do is teach each other and remind our children that there is a safe place for them, that they do not need to fear because they have a heavenly Father who cares for them. And this is the hope that we have to offer to a world in chaos. This is the hope that we have to share for the people who work with you, who are terrified with your neighbors, that there is going to be a day when their peace will come. There's going to be a day when, when this fear will pass. But until that day, we tell everyone, we proclaim to everyone, come and see God. Come and see if He isn't the one that you can trust with your life and the life of those you have most dearly. And, and we see in verse 10, God say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted amongst the earth. That God says that rebels will come and fall down before Him and find forgiveness. That rebels will come and find peace with Him. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came to this earth, so that we who are rebels might have peace with the God who dwells with us. Because Jesus says, I have paid the price. There's nothing for you to have fear from God, that God has laid your guilt upon Him, that you do not need to work harder, you do not need to earn your place, but God says, come. It's not from, this isn't a message for people who are good enough, but a people who cry out, like the, like the disciples in the boat, Lord, save us. And you might be going through a lot this year, and even this day, but I would encourage you, come and look at Jesus. Come and read the accounts of His life, and come experience for yourself that you might find peace, that you might find hope in this world. And as a close, I, I just want to read a few verses from Revelation. That's the hope that we offer to ourselves and the hope that we offer to this world around us. 
in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and behold, they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And this is what our hope is. God will take away your tears. God will be with you. And this is my prayer for us this year. Let us pray. God, as we look out in this world, as we, as we feel our own fears, let alone the fears of this world, we, we worry how we will cope. Lord, would you remind us of the fact and the truth that we cannot, but you can. Lord, we pray that we would trust our lives into your hands, that we would know that you are good and that we can trust you, and you are a good father. Lord, we pray for anyone here struggling today. Lord, would you meet them in their need? Will you take away their fears? And will you place their trust back in your loving arms? Lord, we pray that you would be with us now, that you'll go before us, that you'll bless us, and you'll keep us this day in Jesus' name. Amen.